0: One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. We're the home of the song story and the place where musical memories come to life right in front of a microphone. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Dr. Glenn Whitehouse. Glenn is Associate Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Florida Gulf Coast University and Director of PAGES. It's a career program for liberal arts students at FGCU. When not administrating, he has taught philosophy and religious studies at FGCU ever since it opened its doors in 1997. He's been in Florida most of his life, but has also lived in Pennsylvania and Iowa and is a happily married empty nester with a son in college, says his bio. I met Glenn in my first semester at FGCU in the late 90s. I had returned to college in my late 20s after having, let's say, not done so well the first time around with higher education. He and I hit it off from the beginning, and like Episode 62 guest, Dr. Maria Rocca. He helped form the foundation for my academic and ergo professional career. Therefore, I've definitely been looking forward to this. Hey there, Glenn. How are you? I'm well. You're founding faculty, right? Absolutely. So what are your first memories of campus?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. So my first memories of campus were actually not going on at all because when I came to interview for the job, which mind you was – in July, I think, early July when when you know, we were going to open in of August. Of 97. Of 97. Uh, it was still a construction site. And so I went for the interview. The interview was in the hotel where I was staying, where they'd rented space. And uh, they took us on a drive past the campus, but it was still a hard hat zone, so we couldn't go on. So I had to kind of take it on faith that there was, in fact, a university behind that road. What were you doing at the time? Well, I was in graduate school, so I was um, – just finishing up graduate studies at the University of Iowa, and um, you know, I just I just left
0: Iowa City, come come to Florida, and um, yeah, that was it. Did you come here because it was a new university, or it was because the only job you could get? <laughs> well, uh, you know, a, a little bit, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. So
1: you know as as i'm sure you know the um to call the academic job market challenging would be a, a very severe underst- Correct. a very Correct. severe understatement it's like breaking into baseball or something but um the uh it was a it was a big opportunity for me it was a great opportunity actually to come back to florida which is where you know where my parents lived and where i spent most of my life and also where my wife is from so um, I had I had another I had another interview I had I really just do these these two interviews because I kind of got the job at FGC much earlier than I expected I wasn't even completely done with my dissertation yet so I was expecting to be on the job market the, the next year so UC uh, FGC was interested in me and then there was a, another college um, in Missouri that I interviewed with uh, so those were those were really only
0: the two that I interviewed at I got very lucky. Okay, well, we'll get more to FGCU campus life. Mm-hmm. Oh, real quick, we were saying before the show, when you first got here, and for a long time, you knew all the other people on campus for the most part. You at least knew who they were, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much, yeah.
0: How long did it take before, can you kind of guess as to when campus got big enough to where suddenly, because like, I remember the first time I like asked Maria, oh, you know this prefer- professor? And she was like, no idea. And I was like, oh, now i got a different sense of campus now.
1: Yeah, it didn't take it didn't take too long. You know, I think in the earlier years we were growing at a very uh, we were growing sometimes double digit percentages every year, and, and then hiring people to go along with it. So I would say probably by five years in, you no longer felt like you knew everybody. Understood.
0: So you said you grew up in Florida.
1: Mm-hmm. Where? Uh, I grew up mostly in Orlando. I moved there when I was um, in just starting fifth grade.
0: Okay. What's the earliest musical memory you can recall? Oh, that's a great
1: question. Um, Probably maybe singing in the church children's choir.
0: How old would you have been? I would have been
1: very young, six or seven.
0: So where was that if that was before Orlando?
1: I was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. So you're not a Floridian. No, I mean, I, I think... I think <laughs> By the strict it, definition. <laughs> I, I think I think if you were here since fifth grade, you probably count as a Floridian. Oh, that's what but, I feel like, yeah. too. So how would you describe the musical background of, like, you know, starting there at about fifth grade when you got to Orlando? Like, what was happening around you? What were your parents playing? What were you identifying with? Did you have brothers and sisters? That sort yeah. of thing. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, my mother was a great music lover, and
1: um, she had classical music going on, uh, on the stereo pretty much constantly you know she had one of those old stereos you know that were you know with a wooden case mm-hmm. and everything and she had about uh, she had about 9 feet of shelving of classical music records mm. so we we had music on at the house all the time they didn't really listen to pop music i mean except for you know, even they, even though they were, my parents were sort of the generation where they could have listened to Elvis and all that rock and roll at that time in high school. Um, the only real pop records they listened to would be things like Harry Belafonte and you know, things that were popular in the early '60s. But, but pretty much, we were listening to
0: classical music at home. You said your mom's music was classical music. Was that your dad's music too, or was that just he was listening to what your mom's music was? Yeah, the latter. <laughs> the yeah. latter. Did he have yeah. any music of his own that you would could remember that maybe you know didn't jive with classical? Um, I don't think my I don't think my
1: father was that was that interested in music. I think to have sort of an independent an, an independent taste. I guess he uh, you know he listened to what my mom listened to, and you know they were also people who went to the symphony quite frequently. You know, so we were constantly going to concerts. You know, of course, my father worked at a university, so. You know, we were always going to one of the choral groups or one of the instrumental groups. Even playing at the university, we would go to the symphony. So we there was a lot of music in my uh, my uh, upbringing. I, the only the earliest pop uh, performance I remember going to is um, when we were pretty young at the Allentown County Fairgrounds. We went to see the Osmond family.
0: Oh wow! Guys. That was the You know, I have a sort of similar parallel mm -hmm. to that. My first concert was going to the Charlotte County Fair to see the monkeys. There you (laughs) go. That is that's like a weird bizarro (laughs) version of the same. Because this would not have been the Osmonds. During their first run, right? This no. would have been some sort of revival?
1: No, this was this was when Donnie and Mary was on TV. So oh. they, they were
0: very popular at that time. OK. Because yeah. for me, it was the, the monkeys had come back because of MTV and that was when I went and saw them. So um, did you play any musical instruments? Yes. Or did your parents? Uh, yes. So my mom played piano and
1: uh, she also sang. Uh, my mother also played some flute, which her father had, had been a flute player. So her – My grandparents, uh, my grandmother on my mother's side was a piano player. My grandfather was a flute player. My mom played a little bit of both, and she also sang. Um, I sang like in church choirs and things like that and at school. I um, started piano lessons, but it it didn't really go so well. Uh, And uh, then I did violin for a little bit. The piano lessons were actually with my uh, the the woman who was the head of our church's uh, choir, uh-huh. so it was the same person I was singing with, and uh, you know I I thought she was about a hundred years old; she was probably sixty, but um, <laughs> might have been forty-five. Yeah, um, <laughs> and um, she was a, ver- a really nice old lady. You, you know, you go to her house, and you know, it was in an old house downtown, and uh, you know, it still had. One of those stoves that was, you know, like an iron stove that was meant to heat the house. That, uh-huh. uh, she still had one of those, and she would, you know, bring out a, a plate of those cookies that, um, that look beautiful but are kind of like rocks, you know. Uh, <laughs> but so I, I never really—I don't think I really caught on with, uh, with the piano playing. I did take a little bit of uh, violin around the time I was in elementary school, and then I—I didn't—I didn't do that for a while as so I went into middle school, and then um, my sister was in the high school band. She was two years older than me, and um, she seemed to be having a really good time. So, even though I hadn't done band in middle school, I uh, showed up for an event that she was doing, and the director said, uh, "All of our tuba players are graduating next year. Half of them are graduating next year. Would you like to play tuba?" And that was it. So I I did that all the way
0: through. Glenn Whitehouse was a tuba player. Oh yeah! Wow, that's the that's the that's what I learned today. Uh, Could you play a tuba now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can play a tuba now.
1: I mean, do I you, have, I, a you have a
0: tuba? Yeah, I, I do.
1: I, I don't have it on me. But well, yes.
0: Obvious.
1: Yes, I do. Yes, I do. can't smuggle a tuba. I, I actually have a tuba that my son then played in high school as well.
0: Oh, OK. So w- when you have a tuba, when you want to play the tuba talk about around the, tuba the house, for just for a minute, do you just – do you play it along with other music or can you just like solo on a tuba? You know, like how does that work? Seems like to me, tube isn't accompanying company. You no, know, it, it it is. I mean, it's playing... like a triangle. You can't just yeah. like. I'm just going to jam. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. I mean, when you're playing the tube, it's like playing like it's like playing the bass or the drums. I mean, you are you are an ensemble player. Right. You're, you're a supporting instrument. So, uh, there, there certainly are. Um, Solo pieces for tuba, you know, I think uh, especially kind of uh, maybe avant-garde composers like appreciate the weirdness of it, uh-huh. and will write something for uh, for a tuba. But there's also there's also some very famous orchestral pieces by like like John Williams and uh, uh, Ray von Williams both have tuba concerto. So it's not you know there's there's mainstream people doing it, but you know yeah you are a support you are playing a supporting instrument, which means that you know the most important things for you is to have a good tone and to have good rhythm. So you know I think that was um, it's a very kind of satisfying instrument to play because of course it's huge you know your your entire body is wrapped around it it takes a lot of breath like
0: a mech warrior yeah no (laughs) you are i mean very very nice mike
1: it takes it takes a great deal of breath to do it you know it's a it's challenging but it's um it's tremendously fun people like it you know they like the visual of it you know you show up at a at a high school football game with a sousaphone and you know people are uh, little kids are
0: looking at you and you know uh, they you know people really dig it were you marching mm-hmm. yeah mm, cool um that's I, I, I didn't know you were a tuba player see that's what this show does um what was the first music that you found maybe through your sister or maybe through yourself that wasn't in the world that your parents were listening to
1: yeah so my sister you know listened to um my sister listened to some pop music that was popular, you know, in the seventies, you know, some of that stuff that would have be been the teenage magazines, the Sean Cassidy and things mm-hmm. like that. But uh, the one record I really remember that my sister brought home and it was uh, Today's Top Hits, nineteen seventy six. And that had some real gems on it. Uh, you know, it had things like, you know, um, Lionel Richie singing Brick House and, um, <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, Foreigner, uh, you know, um, uh, Debbie Boone singing you, My, you Light Up My Life and things like that. That was Lionel Richie oh, singing gave me, Brick House? You just gave me Whiplash with
0: those three examples. <laughs> you, yeah, you didn't know that? Lionel Richie is who sings Brick House? Yes, he, with the Commodores. But then Foreigner. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> And then. <laughs> Okay, yeah. That I life, I, life of my life. I I apparently had blocked that part of Lionel Richie's life out of my brain. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Keep going. So I mean, I, I I guess yeah. So
1: I I guess I so I guess to me like that that record because it was kind of a like a top 10 record was sort of my first uh, maybe my first introduction to pop music.
0: Did your parents embrace that kind of stuff? I mean, were they cool with you guys listening oh, to that? Oh yeah, 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 sure. They were happy with it. What order. was the first music you owned? It was probably a
1: it was probably a Beatles' greatest hit uh, greatest hit song, I imagine.
0: Hmm. Um, if you could learn one instrument instantly, what would it be? Probably guitar. Electric or acoustic? Either one. But I, acoustic, I guess. I don't know. Either one. I don't know if I've never heard anybody say either <laughs> well, one. Well, it's a guitar. It's, it's a guitar. It's, I mean, it's the same principle. Uh, that's true. It is the same principle. Okay. It is time for your first song. Okay. How, how would you like to handle it? I'd like to play the song first. Okay, this is Big Rock Candy Mountain, right? We're doing them in that order. All right, this is Big, uh, the Big Rock Candy Mountain by Harry McClintock. I don't think I've ever heard that before. That's an interesting song. What's the story?
1: So that's a, that's a song that's come up a few different times in my life. Um, I actually knew the title before I knew the song because. Um, it's a the song is referenced in George Orwell's Animal Farm, which I read as a, as a as a child in uh, in in school, and um, so you know there it was. Um. So i i became I became interested in that song, like like a lot of people in two thousand. I became minorly obsessed with the sun, the soundtrack from the film of Brother Where Art Thou? Oh, okay. Which is,
0: I <laughs> knew it was in there somewhere. Yeah, that's where it is. Which okay. was
1: which was very popular, uh, and. You know, it's, it's an old hobo song from the 30s, right? It's a, from the Depression. And um, it, it, it came out around the time my son was born, and we had the record, and we played it a lot. And I've always really liked that kind of folk music, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, folk culture. And um, we played that kind of music around my house a lot. Um, and this, this sort of became the, the the occasion for one of my— biggest uh, parenting fails which is uh, you know i uh, we had this we had this record the soundtrack playing around our house and my son was listening to it and my son learned the song you know so he could he could recite the song you know he's like 3 or 4 years old so um, the consequence of that is he came into preschool singing the lyrics to that song. So he's coming in singing. <laughs> so there's you alcohol know. coming down yeah, the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, and, and the lake of stew and of whiskey, too.
0: Now, there's a there's a kid-friendly version that was released that, much, much later. That's not the version. Right. That's oh, not no, the version. Do they change their socks in that version? Uh, I think they probably still change their socks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's a fun fun trivia, Mike. Darius Rucker once sang a Burger King version where all of those things had been replaced by things that they make at Burger King. That's Hootie, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So continue.
1: Yeah. So so um, probably that wasn't the best thing for him to, for a four year old to be walking in and, and singing at preschool. But but yeah, he did, did you get any feedback from from I, school? I, I did get a little feedback from <laughs> yeah? school, and it's it's it was inter- problematic too, you know, because. Uh, the preschool, you know, that he went to, my wife owns. So, you know, oh. it was. It was <laughs> sometimes these things come back to me a little indirectly. So, yeah, that was um, that was one of those moments where it was probably not a great uh, not a great choice. But you know, again, I don't, I don't, I didn't necessarily think about it, and you know, I don't know, like. I was so happy, you know, I'm so happy to see my son like enjoying music. And when little kids are like they're such sponges, you know. Yeah. And you put them on something and they get so into it. And I there was a similar uh, situation with another song where I was home and um yeah, I know you and I both are, are into Bob Dylan, but um I was home and we were listening to a Bob Dylan record and uh, we were listening to the song Radio uh, Rainy Day Woman. And, you know, it's a great, you know, and it's got the little, like, the little, um, you know, New Orleans band part behind it. And there's drums and everything. And my son's marching around the the living room. And my wife comes in and says, you're going to have to stop playing that, you know. I'm like, well, why? And he goes, because he's going to come into uh, kindergarten singing Everybody Must Get Stoned. And, <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it's the song really isn't about that, you know. And then you, she gave me that look, the, like, I'm reevaluating my life choices kind of kind of look. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, um, does he remember those? Like, you know, if you said, "Do you remember when you sang Big Rock Candy Mountain' at preschool?" Oh, um,
1: he wouldn't remember that incident, but he would remember the song. Is yeah, no, his mind's like an iron trap for that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, uh, does he play any instruments? He does. He plays tuba. Oh, you ever played "Big Rock Candy Mountain" on the tuba? <laughs> uh, no. No, that hasn't happened. And so he still is playing now, even though he's— No, he's not. I mean, he's, he's in college,
1: so— um, Not playing tuba in college? No, he, he really—I um, think he sort of had the—one of the costs, I think, for him of going to a, a small college is that some of the opportunities of um, uh, playing in ensembles maybe, maybe aren't there as much as at a larger institution. Uh, that's okay. It's compensated by many other good things.
0: Yes, I understand. Um, so when you were in high school, what mm-hmm. was your vibe— what was my vibe? What, do what you was mean your by vibe? vibe? Were you a jock? Were you a nerd? Were you a goth kid? You know, mm-hmm. where did you fit into the social strata? Sure, that's a good question. Um,
1: that's a. It's not really a question I necessarily know the answer to. I mean, I was definitely like I was in the band, right? So that's a social thing in and of itself. So right. I was a
0: band. Kid. You were a band kid.
1: I was a band kid, and I was um, like one of the AP class crowd. You know. Um, so, I was there with sort of the you know the folks who were in those uh, college classes and then the folks who were in the band I, I i don't really have a sense or i didn't really have a sense that I was really popular or anything but then when I was a senior, much to my surprise uh they v- they voted me most likely to succeed which um uh I didn't really know that many people knew me to be honest uh, to 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 huh. do that um and it was it was kind of funny because uh I think when we got ten years from college, you know, uh, we got some letter about a reunion or something, and the two people, you know, they did a girl and a boy for each superlative. And the, at that time, you know, the two people voted most likely to succeed it was like me, who was in graduate school at that time and living below the poverty line, <laughs> and then um, the 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 woman who was voted uh, who I who I known she was like at that point like a church organist or something. So um it was kind of funny that at that point that that we would uh that we would show up with that but you know, obviously we've uh,
0: gone on to other things. Like yes. You're like a dean now or something, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um do you remember the first song you slow danced to? Oh gee.
1: Um I don't, but I'm guessing because of the time period that it was something really that you wouldn't want to like um admit to. You know, like it's probably Air Supply or something like that.
0: You're all out of love. <laughs> oh,
1: it's that's that's it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible with something like that. Are yeah. you
0: a dancer in general?
1: Uh yeah, I, I am actually. So I took um so yeah, there's a couple different ways one can dance, right? So um There's I, at least a couple <laughs> Yeah. I I I danced a lot in college because um just socially because that's what sort of the college social scene was was based at there you know the we had a lot of parties and there was and this a, was new college this was a new college and there was a lot of dancing you know the the social scene there was on campus it wasn't like go out to go out to the town or something uh we would have uh these parties and the parties were always centered around dancing so i i kind of learned to do it there but very much on and a sort of like dancing to popular music you know so like the kind of dancing i did there would be like to the talking heads or something like that. Um, but I also, when I was in college, we started, my my roommate and I uh, started a ballroom dancing club where we, you know, we just, you know, student clubs. So we got some money from student government. We hired a dance instructor. And uh, we had this, you know, these people come in and teach us like traditional ballroom dances. Mm. And that's actually, um, it's it's not how I met my wife, but it's how I got to know my wife because she was also in that class. Huh, do you still? You guys still like
0: do that kind of dancing today?
1: Well, actually, yeah. So we 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 did that in college. We did it a little bit in grad school. Then we took a twenty five year break, and uh, we've recently, in the last say three years, come back to dancing. And so now we are taking dance lessons. We did a competition over the summer. So yeah, we're back into it now. You know, doing things like tango and cha cha. And
0: I think stuff. FGCU needs its own local version of Dancing with the Stars: Dancing with the Profs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's an interesting hobby because it's very much like, you know, so I, you know, I don't really play music anymore, um, but going through that process of working up a dance, like maybe especially a choreographed dance, it's, it's actually very much like working up a solo piece when you're a student musician. You know, you're, you know, you're kind of figuring out how the piece works for you. You, you modify it a little bit. Uh, you know, you work out the timing, and then you, you know, as you master it, you try to do more of the expressive elements. So it's, it's really, in many ways, reminds me a lot of um, of what, you know, the things one would do when you were putting together a of as a musician.
0: Are there any analogies to music and dancing and philosophy? <laughs> How's um, that for an impossible question to answer?
1: Uh, I think there's, yeah, I do. I think there's a lot of uh, analogies for that. I mean, I think that... Um, You know, I, I think that when you dance or when you play music, you know, you're trying to um, you're trying to, I think, express and communicate kind of a, a big idea, right. Um, it's not necessarily a concept, right? It's more of a, a feeling or an emotion, but in order, but you're trying to uh, convey that idea to people and make it resonate with them. But in order to have to, in order to be able to do that, You have to master, like, all these kind of technical skills. I mean, learning music or learning the steps in dance, it's really hard, right? So in order to look graceful doing it and to convey this big idea with it, you know, you have to learn the scales or you have to learn the basic steps. And, you know, I think um, that's also very true, I think. uh, It's it's probably true for uh, any academic disciplines in general, but I think especially for philosophy. I mean— you're also trying to convey a big idea to people, but you have to learn the logic and you have to learn to read uh, some pretty difficult and dense texts. You know, There's a lot of skills that go along with um, being able to get to that point where you can uh, convey a big idea, conduct an argument in front of a class or something like that. So yeah, I think there are – yeah, there are analogies.
0: It's interesting. As you say that, it, it occurs to me that, you know, with music and, and dance, there's muscle memory. You know, you mm-hmm. get to a point where you, you have to try to do something so long and then eventually it's just kind of there and you can call mm-hmm. on it. I guess the same thing would apply with, you know, presenting big ideas to people through the lens of philosophy. If you don't, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think
1: that's true. I mean, I think especially, um, I, I would say in philosophy, that's especially true of kind of... Uh, logic, you know, and sort of that that skill in being able to make a logical inference or to recognize a problem with an argument, you know, when you do that um, both directly by studying logic and indirectly by reading and critiquing uh, philosophical texts, you do that for long enough, you know, it becomes sort of, you know, it becomes sort of second nature.
0: Yeah. We'll get back to academics in a little bit, but I'm going to get back onto the Mm -hmm. music side of things here. Um, Do you remember, besides the Osmonds, uh, the first (laughs) concert that you saw that was of note? The first concert that was not the Osmonds with the my The first parents. concert, yeah, and, that, that you, yeah, exactly. So
1: I guess the first pop concert that I saw that wasn't the Osmonds was uh, was Yes. Ah. How old would you have been? Uh, I would have been in high school, probably a freshman in high school maybe.
0: Okay. Um, have you seen much live music over the years? I've seen a lot of live music. What are your peak live music experiences? Um, That's a good question. I, um...
1: I have seen Elvis Costello twice, which um, is I, – I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Um, I really thought uh, the one time I got to see you 2 uh, I thought that was a pretty incredible show. Um, I've actually seen Bob Dylan 11
0: times. Really? Yeah. I've never seen him. And actually, that's not true. I saw him once at a festival and then he, but he was playing like – he was doing one of his days where he just like going to play all the songs in a way that nobody likes. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, that Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah,
1: I do know that Bob Dylan. Yeah, I do. Yeah, so I mean, and and uh, you know, and, and I think also, you know, I've had, I've uh, been lucky also to pick up some really, you know, again, I, I do have this interest also in folk music and in uh, still in classical music. So yeah, I've had a chance to see some really good shows in that regard too. Uh, there was a, a wonderful concert uh, that was here in uh, here in Naples not so long. Well, it was actually was a long time ago. where we I had a chance to see. Um, the preservation hall jazz band with uh the, then the bluegrass musician del mccurry they were playing together it was probably one of the best concerts i've ever seen hmm you like bluegrass i don't i don't know it well but i do enjoy it
0: there's it, a guy who we had on this show um uh, his name is David Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered him through the Alliance for the Arts when I was there. I gave his music to Jim Griffith, who runs the Sydney and Byrne Davis Arts Center. He is now on regular route every season. He's one of their shows. I'm going to remind you. You should go see. I'll, I'll, we'll go together because he's – I don't really like bluegrass, but this guy's like a whole different level. It's yeah. hard to explain.
1: I actually uh, – this past summer – we went to the Chautauqua Institute in uh, northern New York or western New York and um you know which is kind of a summer camp for grown-ups basically but uh, one of the features of that place is that you can get to see a lot of music so in the course of one week we saw uh three symphony concerts we saw a great jazz band called Ranky Tanky. We saw Winona Judd. We saw like five things in this case in the course of six days. Hmm. It was pretty. It was pretty
0: wonderful. Do you and your wife's musical tastes align, or are there any you know stark divergences?
1: Um, no, I think my my interests and my wife's are pretty similar. They're not identical. Um, you know, I think she uh there's uh, I think there's some music that she enjoyed that I wasn't really that into or that she had enjoyed it with a different group of friends than I did. There's there's definitely some things that I listen to that um she probably tolerates rather than enjoys. For
0: instance, I like Rush. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's usually not so popular with the ladies, you know. Um what was the first band you got into? Was there like a band at some point? You said um, you got the Beatles. Definitely, yeah, probably the Beatles. Probably definitely. the Beatles. Yeah. Okay, um, you, your son did you did he have any music that you were like, what are you listening to?
1: Uh, not really. Uh, my son listened to a lot of stuff that we may be introduced to him, um, and it's it's not necessarily he's not really into popular music that's popular today so much. You know, he um, actually, you know, my son loves Elvis. Huh. Like he listen like that, he really enjoys that, and he you know he did. Um, <laughs> there was a karaoke night. Uh, it was a karaoke night that we, I went to with my son, and, and the two of us sang uh, Elvis's song "Little Sister" together. <laughs>
0: you know that one? Yeah, I yeah. do. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Do you do much karaoke? No, no. Okay, that was a one off. Okay, uh, it's time for your second song. Sure. It's Appalachian Spring, which the full version is, will be, it would be the second longest version of a song that we've had on this show. By Aaron Copeland, it premiered in 1944. This is the New York Philharmonic version with Leonard Bernstein conducting, released in 2014. First of all, I just want to say, you know, I don't listen to a lot of classical music, and the whole time I was just trying to like reverse reverse engineer how somebody goes about writing that in, you know, Mm -hmm. anyway, but so tell the story.
1: Yeah, so um the uh that piece was written uh actually to go along with the ballet. So uh Aaron Copeland wrote that uh for the piece that went with the Martha Graham Dance Company. But uh, you know, to me, um that's that piece kind of represents a lot of it's kind of a synthesis of the kind of music that I'm into in the sense that I I grew up in a house where classical music was all the was gone all the time. As I got to be a teenager I started to enjoy you know 60s rock and folk music and things like that. One of the things I really interesting me about Appalachian Spring is that it's really a synthesis of those things because you know the main tune is based on a hymn. You know the the main da 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 that's a that's a hymn called Simple Gifts that was uh, kind of associated with the Shaker religious movement in upstate New York. So you know it's a it it's a a really interesting to me an example of like a classical composer trying to incorporate that folk music element into a, into a piece of music mm. but the um i guess the story behind it is it kind of for me marks the end of my career as a student musician so um when i was in college i was part of a um, of a traveling musical group a competitive uh, musical group that went around the country during the summer and um, uh, Appalachian Spring was the repertoire of uh, actually one of our competitors, one of the other one of the other groups. Uh, but we were with them all the time when we were touring, so we were hearing this song constantly. So to me, this it, it sort of evokes memory of that was the soundtrack of that summer for me, you know. And it was a song that I, I heard many many times, and as a result, started to think about it a lot. So to me, that kind of represents that was really for me the end of um, that sort of. That stage of being a musician
0: myself, because that was that—that sort of the last summer in which I was a student musician. What was the kind of group that you were with? Were you guys an orchestra? Were you guys like a, an ensemble, or what was it?
1: It was a competitive drum and bugle corps.
0: Competitive drum and bugle corps. Mm-hmm. But you were traveling with somebody who was playing Appalachian Spring. So apparently, there was different categories in these competitions. Or do you? No, did you no, play?
1: no. They arranged it for they arranged it for their instrumentation.
0: For a drum and bugle.
1: Yeah that song? Yeah, absolutely.
0: It was brilliant. I don't even know how I can They 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 they, <laughs> they won they won
1: the national championship with it. Wow. Yeah. But it, yeah, so anyway, that was that was kind of uh that was a very interesting time, you know, I think as I had um uh you know, I, I'd been in marching band in high school and uh you know, i had been a student musician in high school. Uh that kind of drum and bugle corps world was uh kind of like um I don't know the the analogy. Like if like if your high school marching band is like the the Army Reserve, you know, drum build corps is like the Navy SEALs, right? It's, it's oh, kind of okay. you know, it's, it's a, at a much you know, at a very uh, a very advanced level. And you know, as I said, we would travel, we, we toured the country, you know, um, uh, competitively. And um, you know, it was, inter- it was interesting to me because again, like I think that was a probably the closest I ever came to mastering my instrument, you know, because we were practicing so much, you know, and and getting, you know, high level instruction every day for hours, you know. Uh, Yeah, that was probably the closest I ever got to really mastering uh, the tuba as an instrument. And then Three months after that, I got braces and it all, <laughs> and, and I couldn't make it. You know, I couldn't make a decent sound on it anymore.
0: So, paint a picture for what a drum and bugle core is, because clearly it has more than drums and bugles. If you, there was a tuba player in it, like I don't even know. It, it, oh no, b- bugle is a class of instruments. So, okay, so it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I was trying to imagine yeah. somebody just using. Bugles, no, 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 and no, 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 no. drums yeah. to make Appalachians. No, it's, it's a it's a class of <laughs> okay, instruments good. that would have the
1: equivalent of like trumpet, French horn, baritone, brass instruments. baritone too. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. That's right.
0: Okay, so how did um, you know y- when I first met you? You were teaching philosophy mm-hmm. and uh, like religion, religious studies, something like that. Um, how did that wind up to be your path?
1: Um. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I you know, I went to um you know, I went to a liberal arts college and um I just I was undecided. You know, I didn't I didn't really have a clear sense for what I wanted to study. Um so they put me I, I they gave me an art history professor as my advisor, you know, and uh told me to just kind of take what I was interested in. Um I took a philosophy class and um I think what it hit off for me is um, I found philosophy very intellectually exciting and very challenging. You know, because it is hard. You know, I mean, you read. Uh, the, the, you know, there's no there's no two ways about it. You know, picking up the critique of pure reason is not uh, is not a walk in the park, and I I, I enjoyed that challenge. You know, I, I think uh, to me that was intellectually exciting. Um, I also took a number of religion classes, and I, I think um, my interest with that. Was I guess twofold. I, I, one is that just at a personal level, you know, having grown up as a church kid, you know, I had a lot of interest in in religion. I was also, you know, somebody who was doing a lot of reading. And I think, you know, in a lot of a lot of religious traditions, maybe the intellectual side of things doesn't uh, doesn't translate so well into the religion part. But I, I really wanted it to. <laughs> so I guess one of my interests in sort of uh, studying philosophy, religion specifically within philosophy uh you know was tied to that kind of personal interest but but also I think um I got interested also in some of that study of religion just because um uh, one of the other fields I was interested in was history, which is actually what my son is studying now but um I think some of the some of the things you study in that kind of religious studies world are kind of a combination of history and philosophy, and so i found that I found that sort of appealing
0: as well. Did we watch movies in your class back in the day? I feel like I wrote a paper on the Matrix in a Glenn yeah. Whitehouse class. Is that I, is that I'm, a f- real memory? That's a real memory. What was that
1: class? <laughs> uh, that that class was probably Religion and Film.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 That's what it was. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was made a good impression on me as a nontraditional. So I showed up here as a 27 year old Mm -hmm. student. You were in your second year teaching. Mm -hmm. What do you have any? What do you remember about me showing up as a nontraditional student? Because I was nontraditional, I believe, on a number of different levels. Yeah, (laughs) you're not wrong about that.
1: Um, Yeah. So I mean, obviously, you know, you were at that time. You weren't that much younger than me. I know well i didn't realize yeah. that at yeah. the time I've put that together i mean since. I was I was probably in ninety nine I would have been um thirty okay, yeah, you yeah. were two and a half yeah. years older than me or something right. like that um yeah so i I remember you as somebody who had a lot of questions and as somebody who had um you know a lot of um a lot of interest but also a lot of independent interest and as you know, you know we took a couple classes with me and
0: uh, we just uh, sat around and talked. We, we just had, yeah. We just we
1: just sat around and talked and then a, a few years later, you you plunked a manuscript on my desk of something you'd written and said, oh, can we look at
0: this? We haven't really looked at it that deeply. <laughs> it still exists. It's only, it's only been 20 years. We'll get back to it. Well, I, my first, yeah. my first memory, memory of you was um, I took philosophy of human communication and you brought out uh, Buber's I and Now – and you assigned the class to read the first page yeah. as homework. Mm-hmm. And I went home and read like the first 40 pages. Mm-hmm. It, it clicked like you were saying, like it's hard to read philosophy. And I came in the next class and the whole rest of the class was like, I got nothing. <laughs> I have no idea what these words mean. And that's when I thought I should pursue this. And that's why I wound up in the communication program because that's where all the philosophy classes were.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I think, um, think Boober in particular – the listeners out there need the reference, it's Martin Buber's I Am Thou, uh, written in 1923. Um, I think to me, uh, I, I always, I always love teaching that text uh, for a variety of reasons. But one is that I think it, it's really a text that shows the importance of reading something closely and slowly. So the reason, I, the reason I did that, the reason I had that assignment where we read just the first few paragraphs instead of assigning a chapter— was really to kind of teach that practice of reading slowly and closely. So I broke the rules. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. But you know, the interesting part though is that the students who uh, said that I, you know I don't know what these words mean. The interesting thing about Buber's text is that they're not technical words at all. Right. I mean, he he was using very very ordinary language, but using it in this kind of deep reflective way. And uh, that's one of the things I find very attractive about Buber and also Plato, which is that. Uh, you don't have to have an investment in sort of high technical language or in kind of 50-cent words to do philosophy. Well, um, you can use ordinary words and uh, and use them for reflective or argumentative purposes. To me, that's one of the things that um, that I found very attractive about teaching that that um, piece. I also think, frankly, since this is a song about music, I mean, this is a show about music, um, one of the things I think is kind of cool about that piece, Martin, Martin Buber's Eye Now, is that Really, it's a little bit like a piece of music in the sense that the entire idea of the book is contained in those first few paragraphs, and everything
0: else in the book is just a variation on it. It's mm. kind of
1: it's kind of like a you know, it's kind of like a symphony in that regard. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, you still teach some, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mostly administration. I still teach about a course a year. Can you? Is there something to reflect on as far as sort of the baseline philosophical mindset of students now versus when you first started teaching? You know, so much about the world has changed, so much about how we gain information has changed. Certain things that might have been outliers are now more prominent in terms of ideas. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that I've noticed a lot of difference in the way that students come to philosophy over the years. Um, I think it's certainly true true that like advances in – or not advances, but changes in technology – have made certain ideas accessible to students that maybe they weren't accessible before, you know I think that you know philosophy is full of thought experiments, and some of those thought experiments uh, look an awful lot like things the, like the internet or you know things that people might you know like I'll just give an example um again, I don't think people necessarily had a huge change in the way they approach say the basic message of something like Plato's Republic but now everybody understands the parable of the cave at a very visceral level cuz the parable of the cave is a great about, example yeah the yeah, parable yeah. of the cave is about is about being trapped in an alternate reality yeah. right by by people who are manipulating your perceptions and throwing shadows against the wall which you know again uh to you know it's a very old text but now everybody who's sort of grown up in that internet age and worries about the distortion of information coming out over social media that's a very that's a very baseline and, and um, everyday issue for people now. Right. Maybe, yeah. So I, I think maybe people changed. <laughs> uh, the text necessarily haven't. But I think there's definitely some ideas that people
0: – that are now people – part of people's everyday experience that maybe were less true when you came in. When you um, – so you've, you've used film in class before because mm-hmm. we did that. Um, what about music? Do you ever use music in your class as a tool or as just background?
1: Um. I have not used a lot, a lot of music. Um, one of the things I have used music for a little bit is um, in that philosophy of communication class to teach people about uh, the difference between oral communication and written communication. You know, so there's a, there's a great book called Orality and Literacy by Walter Ong that talks a lot about um, the way that oral cultures that, you know, process meaning primarily through speaking and not writing um, have not only a different way of communication, but a different way of thinking. Uh, than cultures that have become literate. So I've used songs in there where you know because because singing really is kind of an oral, you know, it's an oral medium. It's still kind of a residual link for us back to that folk uh, mentality. So I actually have used some assignments where I've done that. There was one where I took um, uh, I took a, a written and a, and a a writing and a song that that talked about the same thing and had people compare them. So we did one where. Um, I used a um, I used the Bob Dylan song "Who Killed Davy Moore?" If you remember that one, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> which, is, which is about a boxer who dies in the ring, and then I t- I found I went and found the actual newspaper reports that Dylan wrote the song uh, based the song on, and uh, I had the students compare like this very written you know this very kind of uh, uh, writing based uh, newspaper reporting with the way that that same story. Was conveyed in in the song, and and it's a very so that was an interesting contrast because huh. again, I think that was a case where where it wasn't just inspired, but you know, actually, in that case, the songwriter was taking was taking details directly from those very stories. But of course, they're very very different what you get in a newspaper article versus the song.
0: Um, how do you listen to music these days? Do you have records at home? Do you?
1: Oh, it's all on my phone now. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Do you have speakers around the house that you connect to? I have some headphones, and uh, you know I listen to the car a lot. Do you listen to FM radio in the car ever? Music. A little bit, yeah. Yeah.
1: Not a lot. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm more likely to have um, I'm more
0: likely to have something playing off my phone, or to be listening to satellite radio. So you do have satellite radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, what was the most recent concert you went to?
1: Most recent, Have you well, been to one since the pandemic? Uh, the most recent concert I went to was one on
0: a jet. Which was where? Oh, that was in Chautauqua, New York, this past oh, summer. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Um, what's the furthest you've ever traveled specifically to see live music?
1: Oh, wow! The furthest I've traveled specifically to see live music. Um, I'm not sure I have a good answer to that. I, I know that I've definitely, um, like, i definitely you know, I've driven from Orlando to Miami or something like that. I don't know if that's the furthest or not.
0: Never gotten on a plane just to go see like a show.
1: I've I've taken trips where part of the idea of the trip was to go to was was to see something but yeah but not not only um,
0: you mentioned uh, going to see concerts like you know uh, symphony concerts things like mm-hmm. that what about musicals Is that something that you uh are into
1: Yeah I'm I'm into some musicals I enjoy I enjoy I enjoy me a musical Yeah I'm I'm not like a I'm not like <laughs> I a, enjoy me a musical yeah. I mean I I'm not no I'm not like a big big Broadway fan but I do enjoy um music I I enjoy
0: Musicals mostly by having watched them in the movies, you know. Have you been to Barber B Man to see shows as they come through town? I have, yeah. Any memorable ones?
1: Oh, Hamilton was pretty awesome. Oh,
0: you did get to see Hamilton? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you see Book of Mormon? I did. What'd you think? I liked it. <laughs> uh, uh, how about movie soundtracks? Uh, I I have, um, yeah. Do you I, have a favorite? Do you have a movie that sticks out for you? Besides, mm-hmm. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? yeah. Well,
1: uh, funny you should mention it because the third, the third song I picked was the Wizard of Oz. And that, oh, that's that's probably we're my getting right there. Yeah, that's probably my favorite music soundtrack.
0: Yeah. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, you said you don't do karaoke. Mm-hmm. Um, um, do you have a TV theme song committed to memory that you would sing with us? Oh wow! Uh, how about Dora the Explorer? Dora the Explorer. I think I could do that. Swipe or no swipey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You you you, you have a kid. You, you have a kid. You can do this. <laughs> All right. Well, let's All see. Right. Uh, what do we do? We count it in. What do we do? He's Jared's bringing it okay. up. Say Jared, hi to Jared. Jared's here. Uh, Jared. <laughs> hey, Jared. Do you know the Dara the Explorer theme song? I should. Me neither. <laughs> Why not? Well, I was 22 when that was popular. Oh, that's true. And Jared is not 22 <laughs> now. <laughs>
1: I mean, I might. I-, I don't think
0: I remember it fully, but I know something, maybe. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> I-, I better remember something. <laughs> <laughs> Du-du-du-du-du Dora. Dora, 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 <laughs> the Explorer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who's that super cool Exploradora? <laughs> Grab your backpack. Let's go. Jump in, Vomonos. You, you know it way better than lead me. Away. Hey. Do-do-Dora 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 Dora. Do, Do-do-Dora
0: Do-do-Dora do, do, let it. <laughs> swipe or swipe? That's the part I knew. Dora the Explorer. Uh, hey, Glenn. Yeah. Have you seen the movie, the new one? I have not. What are, you, what There's are your a thoughts new movie? about Is that? it like live action? Yes.
1: I, I am not down with live action
0: versions of cartoons. That's going to be your teaser bite. We're going to use that at the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah we quote you on that i'm trying to think <laughs> other examples i guess they did that to jungle book right yeah well just... the jungle book was awesome that's a good movie actually i didn't I'll see it the live action jungle book movie it was it was directed by john favreau it's great i don't know that's do just my opinion how old's your uh how your son he's tw- uh, 21 do you remember he might have been the right age for this um big world on pbs it was a treehouse. Oh yeah, there was yeah. a sloth yeah, play yeah. ukulele. Yeah, that was maybe a little late for him, but yeah, I yeah, remember, that was yeah. the sweet spot for my mm-hmm. daughter. And man, that was such a cool show.
1: Well, you know, I think yeah, I think the thing about little kids is that you know they watch those shows so you know, over and over and over again. And I, like what I found is that um, as a parent, uh, those songs are just lodged in my mind and will be until the day I die. You know, and and, and long after my my own son no longer was watching those shows. You know, we will be. You know, sitting in the you know sitting in the line at Publix or something, my wife and I, and all of a sudden we're like, we find ourselves humming the "Door
0: Explorer <laughs> a, a soundtrack or some, or some one of those other uh, songs. Yeah, did uh, SpongeBob fit into his viewing uh, spectrum? Yes. Were you cool and with that? I um, I find some people are like ooh SpongeBob. I was all for SpongeBob. Yeah,
1: I you know I had to say I think. Um, there's, there's definitely things you're grateful to your children for. And I think, you know, one of the things you'd be grateful to your children for is the excuse to watch uh, <laughs> a certain, certain uh, elements of children's culture. So I think if I had not had a child, maybe I never would have seen, uh, you know, maybe, what I, maybe I never would have seen Fo- finding Nemo. And if I had not had a child at that age, maybe I never would have watched Spon- Spongebob and that would have been really unfortunate.
0: Yeah, no, I, I always, yeah. I watched a lot of Spongebob with her mm-hmm. when she was little and I thought it was great. I mean, they speak in complete sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, SpongeBob is just a sponge that wants to work hard and be kind to his friends. You know, he's a good model. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I always like to put my little plug in there for SpongeBob. Um, do you have a nickname? Oh, wait. Yeah. One one last question before a third song. Do you have a nickname that's stuck over the course of your life?
1: No, I don't. None. Oh, I know what you're talking about.
0: Well, no, I don't. This is, might not be radio appropriate. Oh, well, Snow, I, 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 if you know it's what I'm talking about, you know something I don't know. <laughs> oh,
1: the, the only nickname I have – I think the only nickname I have that has stuck has been my email handle at FGCU,
0: which is G GWhiteHo. <laughs> OK, time for your third song. <laughs> Do they allow full characters and names now? Is that like a, a throwback to the early days of it's, uh, FGCU? It's just – it's just what they gave me and, you know, that – Well, it's because yeah. you can only have seven characters or whatever. Yeah, right, right. And, of course,
1: at a certain point that sort of takes on a life of its own and you can't – I'm
0: not – I can't – I can't, I can't remember can't, that now. Now you can't un- hear it. Yeah, uh, no, I can't yeah. wait to send you an email again. I'll say it out loud. Okay, it's time for your third song. You alluded to – it was your favorite musical. What is this? It's The Wizard of Oz, If I Only Had a Brain. And we're going to listen to it first. All right. Okay. Uh, As he said, If I Only Had a Brain from the 1939 film Wizard of Oz, written and composed by Yip Harburg. I just had to say that because Yip's a great name. And Harold Arlen and sung by the Scarecrow, played by Ray Bolger. Bolger?
1: First of all, I'll just say I, I do a great deal of like singing around the house or humming around the household. Actually, all three of the songs in this episode are on my frequent playlist. And as my as my son or wife would would tell you, um, I do this more than they would maybe like. But uh, (laughs) this is probably if I only had a brain, it's the song I'm singing more in my head more than any other. Um, So, um, when my son was very young, uh, he started asking questions about about what I did and what other people at the university did. And he would ask, you know, Daddy teaches philosophy. What is philosophy, and so I, you know, I tried to explain it to him in kind of a, a preschool-appropriate way. And at the end of that conversation, he declared, "Oh, you do thinkology, right?" And, and of course, in the Wizard of Oz, that's the degree that the Wizard gives. Yeah. Uh, gives the, the Scarecrow at the end of the movie as an honorary degree in, in thinkology. So, I think to me that that one is kind of stuck. <laughs> and, um, but I guess the the lyrics, I think to me are. Um, they're kind of evocative a little bit of of my own kind of uh my professional and also intellectual journey i, I think about what the what the scarecrow says in this um in this song um you know uh, you know i'd while away the hours conferring with the flowers you know i think that certainly when i was a child i think i probably daydreamed a lot uh, to the point that you know sometimes i think the the teachers would uh you know Tell my parents that Glenn's off in his little world, and my father would say, um, "Don't worry about it." By the end of the year, you'll love them. They all do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but um, the uh, I think to me, I think uh, as as a kid who spent a lot of time sort of in a reflective mode, you know, I think uh, you know all I have this theory that all philosophers are born. As little league outfielders, you know, because when you're when you're back there in a in a place where the ball is only going to, I played.
0: I grew up playing little league baseball. I totally yeah. resonate like with that.
1: like like when you're out there in a place where the ball is only going to come twice per season. You got a lot of time to think. Right? Yeah. So, um, but anyway, um, you know, I think that kind of the the lyrics, which sort of evoke daydreaming, I think is, um, maybe resonates a little bit with me as somebody who studied philosophy because you know I'm always sort of. Um, got interested in 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 big questions. But at the same time, you know, I had uh, aspirations of turning it into something useful. And I think, you know, sometimes when you have a kid who's kind of speculative or reads a lot, you know, the world doesn't necessarily recognize them as somebody who's going to be a practical person or a useful person. But of course, the scarecrow is saying, he isn't just saying he wants to daydream. He's saying, you know, I, I want to unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain. In Otherwise, he wants to be useful, right? He wants this kind of, uh, uh, he wants this kind of wisdom that he has to be something that will be useful to people. So I kind of think about that as um, maybe, yeah, you know, kind of thinking about my own career as well. You know, I, I think I spent a lot of time um, studying a lot of abstract stuff, you know, and, um, but I I always did want to uh, do something uh, useful with it. So I kind of think about this song a lot when I think about even the course of my own career.
0: Um. I forgot what I was going to say. We've reached an impasse. Hey, Jared, how you doing? We'll talk about something else for a second. We might edit this out. We might not. (laughs) Um, Do you still daydream? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. To your detriment?
1: No. No? I don't. Well, except when I'm trying to get to sleep. But, you know, yeah.
0: Um, Have you done any... Philosophizing of your own, in terms of trying to create something out of whole cloth from your own perspective. Well, sure. I mean,
1: I've, I've, I've. Like,
0: how does that work in the in the yeah. when you're a philosophy professor? So much mm-hmm. of your life is about being good enough and understanding certain philosophers well enough to pass that information along to others. Well, so I, you know, I, I
1: um. I've always kind of aspired as a teacher to not be a philosopher professor but a philosophy professor, you know yeah I'm, I'm yeah, not, yeah. You know, that's, I'm,
0: that's what I'm getting at. yeah, of of. I'm not
1: so interested in um you know i like if I teach innovative philosophy, I'm not really interested in covering the history of philosophy, I'm interested in introducing philosophy as a sub- as an actual form of inquiry and argument, so i mean I think in my in my teaching i mean i I really try to um model myself and then get students to to do um, that kind of process of philosophical inquiry and argumentation as much as I can.
0: Hmm. Do you um miss being a full-time teacher?
1: yeah, i I do miss being a full-time teacher, but I think that, um, I think that to me, it was a little bit of a process of discovery that I was actually good at doing some of these administrative tasks. You know, I actually, back to the song. So uh, I think that, you know, um, one of the things I, I, I find interesting about not just the song but what it goes along with in the movie is that, uh, you know, again, the, scare, the Scarecrow is this kind of daydreamer and, and this kind of person who's, who's trying to be wise, Right. But as it turns out, you know, he becomes one of the most important characters in the movie and he becomes one of the people who helps uh, helps the story move along and helps the heroine get, get to the end point. And it's he's really somebody who discovers that he's good at something. Uh, and it, it takes sort of the recognition by the wizard at the end for him to realize that he has the skill that he aspired to have, that he's actually had it for a long time, right? And so I think I think that's actually the way a lot of people a lot of people's careers go. You know, your 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 role discovers you. It isn't so much that you discover the role, and I, I certainly found that to be the case in my journey from teaching to administration. Although, I mean, I definitely do miss teaching. I think, um, you know, at a certain point, uh, I, I think especially when you know when when we came to FGCU and it was new you know, we were all on a lot of committees, we were all writing a lot of documents, we were all doing sort of some of these organizational tasks, administrative tasks. So I, you know, had been in so many rooms where that was happening and contributed to that process that eventually somebody asked me if I'd I'd be interested in being an administrator, and I hadn't really thought about it when it happened. But it was sort of that, you know, it was kind of that Wizard Wizard of Oz moment, you know, where um, somebody recognized something that I'd you know been doing or been uh had the potential for all along and it wasn't until somebody kind of um tapped me for it that I realized that it, it might...
0: reframed everything kind yeah of. that
1: it reframed everything and made <laughs> made me think that this would be um uh, a different way of of um of advancing uh you know sort of my pathway you know and i think it it's interesting because I think a lot of um you know a lot of professors um here's how you know the university isn't a regular job right because in a company if you move into like management or something and you're tapped to do that, like the normal response on the part of your peers would be either like um, congratulations. It would be the congratulations or, or jealousy, right? Um, but in a university, if you go from being a professor to being a administrator, you know, your your peers usually sort of give you that look that most people reserve for somebody who tells you that they have a serious disease. Right? <laughs> and then and then when you walk out, like when you and I, I've actually also left an administrative job and gone back to it. Like when you leave an administrative job in the university, it's like kill the fatted calf, the prodigal son is returned, right? <laughs> so it's it's definitely, I think, in the minds of a lot of a lot of folks, it's a big change to go from being a teacher to being an administrator. But you know, I think one of the things that I found is that um interestingly enough, I think my philosophical training and my training as a teacher um, have actually served me really well in administrative jobs. Because you know a lot of it is just, um, you know, a lot of it is communication and um, being able to frame issues clearly, which is uh, something that you learn to do as a, as a teacher, but also especially as a philosopher to sort of think through an issue, think through a big issue and think through solutions to it. Um, you know, a lot of it is being able to deal with people, which is something you definitely learn to use as a teacher. So you know, To me, I think what I found it isn't uh, going into that kind of administrative side of, side of things hasn't been so much walking away from my identity as a philosopher, as a teacher. It's just been a different you know, kind of application of those same
0: skills. Hmm. I remember what I, f- I spaced out on earlier. I was daydreaming apparently. Okay. Have you ever dressed up as the scarecrow for Halloween?
1: I have not done
0: I have not in <laughs> fact
1: done that. I have not done that. But I have actually uh I have actually dressed up in class. I uh, I do have a um I have had a um, um I did have an activity in a in a class where I have students read in my philosophy religion class Thomas Aquinas and um you know if you've ever read his works they're just basically recordings of of oral disputations the recordings of things that were that were in a, their original form were were a disputation practice that was performed orally in the medieval university and to dramatize that fact on a couple of occasions I've like shown up in my academic robes and you know, the the academic robe that you know like the graduation robe that's really just the guild costume of the medieval university um i mean it's when you put your graduation robe, you are getting medieval, right? So um
0: Did I you have some bling around your neck that said G white ho?
1: No, it doesn't. <laughs> but you know, I've 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 done that practice and done and done oral disputations in that class. And when I do that, I show up in the robe.
0: Hmm. Um if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you come into the arena on and what would your wrestler name be? Oh wow. That's a really you can use your academic robes as part of your uh, outfit. <laughs> wow um i think
1: if i had to like walk in like to a a theme song yeah
0: yeah arena full of cheering fans um i think
1: i would um just because it's a a really sort of hyped up song i think my my theme song would be probably something like uh you know, Judas
0: Priest breaking the law or something like okay, that. Okay, okay. And what would your wrestler name be? Um, um, maybe it's the Scarecrow. I don't know. The Scarecrow. Oh, you could be dressed as the Scarecrow coming in a Judas Priest. That'd be something. If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind, what would you be? Oh, distilled down Glen White House into a cocktail. Hmm. Probably a gin and tonic. Something make it make it somehow your own. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> no, I I I, uh, I um I try to, uh, maybe something really simple, you know, like a really simple bar drink. That's just that's just a a, a liquor and a mixer in the sense that I I try to. Um, again, I think um, a lot of a lot
0: of what I try to do as a teacher is try to make things that are complicated a little more simple. A simple gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to guess, what song would you say you've listened to the most in your life?
1: The The song I've listened to the most in my life is just for a very particular reason. The song I've listened to the most in my life is almost undoubtedly um, Bob Dylan's Hurricane. And that's because for a certain number of years I had a car where that album was stuck in the CD changer such that every time you turned on the car, it would begin. <laughs> and um, it's it's a very serendipitous because if, if you think about it, that song is an excellent driving song yeah. because it starts out slow, you know, and, you know the 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 violin and, and uh, guitar part, and then it gets faster and louder as you as you as you're pulling out of the driveway, and it starts to go, and then the drums kick in, and so. Uh, because of that sort of um, nice connection between the song and what it feels like to drive, I, I would never turn it off even though it was coming on every single time I turned the car and on. And
0: that's right there. That's a little mini song story because if you were like walking through Publix and Hurricane came on, you would be back in that. What kind of car was it? It was a Ford Probe. Ford Probe. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. Mm. I was not a fan of those. I well, <laughs> neither was I after I owned one. But. Um is there any kind of music or particular song or songs that you'll avoid? Well, that's a good
1: question. Um I I don't listen I okay, I would say I I do enjoy um I do enjoy a lot of country music that's more traditional, like bluegrass and maybe more roots music. Uh, what I don't necessarily listen to will be what I would call like Nashville pop. You know, but, but I mean, I, it's not that I don't like country music. I actually do. But I don't I don't like the sort of the pop version of that.
0: Um, if you could choose to broadcast a song into the head of every human simultaneously, which song would you choose? Oh, wow. Um that's a, that's really tough. Um, that's one of those questions that's got angles. Because he's like, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, wow,
1: that's a really that's a really that's a really deep question, right? Um, maybe um, maybe something that would like calm people down. You know maybe maybe back to the classical music part, maybe something really sort of meditative and and uh, you know uh, some symphonic piece like that that would just kind of um help people uh, not be on edge
0: and if you played something really long like that they, they it would they they'd all be in that moment because you couldn't they couldn't turn it off so if something that Really long, classical. I like that. Nobody's a- answered that question that way. Um, do you listen to albums anymore? Or mm-hmm. since you're on phones, are you listening all piecemeal?
1: No, I listen to albums, sure.
0: What would be an album that you, like, would always tr- want to try to listen to all the way through because you just love it in its entirety?
1: Oh, That's a good question. Um, I, um, I'm a – I'm a – No, boy.
0: Okay. (laughs) Give
1: me a second. It's a really really tough question. I I guess an album that I would listen to in its entirety through if if I could um, would be um, something like Dylan's Highway 61, which I think has a sort of theme through line. Uh one that I enjoy listening to all the way through but seldom succeed because it's a double album would was uh Outcast Speaker Box and Love Below, which <laughs> uh, I always put it on the first track intending to listen to all of it, but then, you know, then my car gets to wherever it's going and I'm still only halfway through the first half. So Do you have a favorite band of all time? A favorite band of all time. Um well it's definitely Bob Dylan. I mean it's it's not not really a contest there. I uh I also really love the Allman Brothers. Um and the Beatles.
0: Um is there a best album of all time? A best album of all time. Um It's a really good question. I um
1: I'm sorry to repeat myself, but it's got to be Dylan's Highway 61.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to listen to it all the way through, yeah. then that's probably yeah. why. Um, I like Blood on the Tracks. That's my ba- that's oh, my ba- that's my go-to Dylan.
1: Blood on the Tracks is a pretty awesome album. That's a good one. Like, um, I always feel though, like if I'm going to listen to it, I should have broken up with somebody first. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. It certainly <laughs> reminds one of past breakups. That's for right. sure. Right. So, so, you know, I've been married for a long time, so it, maybe it doesn't connect <laughs> with me so well. Um, okay. So, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are with us today
1: oh that's that's an interesting question i, I don't
0: i don't really know that that's a very
1: good question so i think yeah that 14 year old who went to that yes concert <laughs> as, as his first concert i think um in a in a weird in a weird kind of way um i think my 14 year old self would probably find my current self a little bit funny because in some ways i've sort of become my dad you know, I, I uh, my father was a professor who then became an administrator, and I'm a professor who then became an administrator. So, I think uh, I think my 14 year old self would find some irony in that and laugh at it. What did he teach? I'm sorry. Uh, my father taught engineering.
0: And where where was that?
1: Somewhere uh, in Orlando, I guess. Well, he 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 first taught um, when we were uh, younger kids, my sister and I. Uh, he taught at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania, and then he went to UCF.
0: Oh, okay. Um, I didn't take any engineering classes at UCF, but I did go there for a semester and a month. There you go. There we go. Um, Any advice you'd want to give your 14-year-old self in retrospect? Oh. um,
1: Yeah, in five years it won't matter. That's great. Okay, it's time for your three recommendations. My three recommendations. This part isn't on the air, is it? Yeah.
0: Oh, it is? Oh, Oh. yeah. We're still in the show. This is still the show. Okay. And, and part of you recommending people is that they're going to listen and they're okay. going to hear you recommend that. Okay. Have you have you um, have you
1: already done Tesla Sage? Yes. Okay, because I was actually just on her podcast last week.
0: Oh, she has a podcast. Yeah. Why hasn't she invited me? I don't know. Okay.
1: Okay, so not her. Um, about Dean Pichurilla. No, don't know who that is. I think he would be a great uh, a great person. Who on is podcast. he? Uh, Dean is um, a financial services guy. He um, was uh formerly the member president of the Greater Fort Myers Chamber. He's a person who's interested in a lot of things. Okay. Put us in touch. All right. Okay. Uh have you done George Alexakis?
0: No. Oh, who's yeah. that?
1: Uh he's a hospitality professor here at FGCU. Oh. Um he was uh he's he's he would be a great conversationalist. I think you should put him on.
0: Okay. One more.
1: Oh shoot, one more. Um the failed Tessa attempt does not count. No. Um you should talk to my wife. Okay, she's a great conversationalist. She's I would a, love to meet your wife. I don't think I've ever yeah, met your wife. She's a she's a business owner. She's got a you know got a company. She works with
0: children. What's her name? Marianne. Ann. I should know that by now. I've known mm-hmm. you for twenty two years. I know. Okay. Well, that's what you've done. It. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Uh, I uh, I really thank uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Chris Duff is executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's Parting Tune, we're jumping back a year to episode 138 guest, the survivor man himself, Les Stroud. His third song was about how around the time the pandemic started getting real, he decided to surprise his wife, who loved Frank Sinatra, with a comprehensive box set that contained every album Sinatra had released on Capitol Records, and how that decision and the ensuing months will forever remain with him. 23 albums and it was a hefty price and I thought you know what nah I can afford this so I bought it because I wanted to support this local business and I went home and then Caroline and I listened to 23 Frank Sinatra albums back to back every single night one at a time for 23 state nights and I mean I became certainly saturated with Frank Sinatra but it's created this it's created a memory. The memory of Frank's voice is forever, you know, how do we say, indelibly etched in my brain as, as these, these, these pandemic dinner moments with Caroline listening to Frank Sinatra. And that's so, it was the creation of a memory. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories.
1: Oh, I'm embarrassed.
0: Oh, we're embarrassing you. You no, stood voice. in front of an audience putting purple, I mean, paint, blue, blue, blue blue paint, paint. on your... <laughs> blue paint. <laughs>